This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Pianist Deborah Moriarty says it's kind of like when you have a child that you've invested so much into, and then you watch them go out into the world and really make something of themselves. It's so exciting and just makes you feel so proud. That's the feeling she gets when she works with Jiwa Tang, who is a colleague but was also once Deborah Moriarty's student. They've just put out their first recording together. It's called Connecting Cultures, and we find out more about the music and also what it's like to work with mentor and student who are now colleagues on this week's edition of New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Let's start off by just having each of you introduce yourself a little bit. We'll start with you, Jihua. Um, I know that you're from Shanghai originally, and today you're an assistant professor and director of collaborative piano at the Michigan State University. Tell me a little bit about your path. How did you, you know, go from Shanghai to Michigan? Um, yeah, so I grew up in Shanghai, China, and um, I had my formal training um, in Shanghai Conservatory, and um, and I came to Michigan uh, when I was 20 years old, a uh, long time ago, <laughs> and uh, somehow I just made Michigan my home. Um, I did my doctoral study with um, Deborah. And I went on working in various places, and then finally when came back um, to teach at MSU, and this just feels like home for me. Tell me more about that, uh, getting the chance to study under Deborah, and now you are collaborators. What does that feel like? Well, um, I was fortunate enough, Deborah has always been uh, my mentor and my great colleague, and it was just wonderful to be working with her, and uh, she is always my greatest inspiration. So, Deborah, let's learn a little bit about you. You've got um, quite a storied history studying at the Curtis Institute of Music and Juilliard and the New England Conservatory of Music, and now you chair the piano area at Michigan State University College of Music. How long have you been doing that? Uh, it's longer than I can even count. <laughs> it's, it's been a very long time. Um, it's, it's kind of like when people, when my students ask me how long I've been playing the piano, I say, since I was three. <laughs> I don't want to give them a number of years. So I've been doing it for quite a while. What keeps you in Michigan? Um, a lot of things. You know, when I came to Michigan, I'm originally from the East Coast, from Lowell, Massachusetts. And when I came to Michigan, my first thought was that I would stay here for three years. And then three years became four years, became five years, became a very long time. And I think it's been over 40 years that I've been here now. It's been quite a while. And what keeps me in Michigan is, again, coming from the East Coast, you know, there's, it's a very busy place. And Michigan has a kind of um, calmness and there's space. And when, you're, and when what you do is something in the arts, it's wonderful to have that space and to not be so stressed and busy and competitive. So we're in a place where 
you know, we can work together. We can come up with a project like this and we can do it. Whereas if I were in Massachusetts, if I were in the Boston area, this would be a very difficult thing to accomplish. Interesting. You're also the co-founder of Celebrating the Spectrum, a festival of music and life. Tell me a little bit about that festival and why you decided to become a co-founder of that event. So we have a faculty member, uh, Derek Polischuk, Dr. Derek Polischuk, who is our head of piano pedagogy. And he was very interested in working with students on the spectrum. And we thought it would just be a really wonderful thing to see if we could come up with a festival together and work with students on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum. And the festival takes place in the summer. It's one week. We invite students in. There, um, It's a pre-college experience, basically. We have classes that they take. They take a one a theory class. They take a music history class and a psychology class. And then they play two concerts at the end. One is a house concert, and the other is a concert that's open to the public. And one of the things that we that I was interested in was I had not worked with, not knowingly worked with people on the autism spectrum, and Derek had. And I thought it would be really interesting to have two different points of view in terms of teaching. And one of the fascinating things for me has been I teach exactly the same way that I always teach. I don't have to make any kind of adjustments whatsoever. I just do what I do. And it's been amazing to watch these people, to see the improvement that they make and to see how, you know, sometimes we think of people on the spectrum as being a little bit remote, but when you have the language of music and when they're speaking the language of music, it's amazing what they can do. So it's the the final concert, you know, people come and they're crying after the concert because it's so special. We have the, what we do with, at the concert is we have each student, we have a mentor for each student. So each student has a graduate student who is with them all day long and practices with them and goes to the classes. And at the final concert, we have the mentors interview the students so that the people in the audience will have an idea of who they are and where they are in terms of their ability to communicate. And it's just, it's a very, very special event. On your new recording, Connecting Cultures, you're working with a former student who now is a colleague as well. What is that like for you? You know, there's nothing more exciting than having a student become a colleague. I can't even describe it. To see that kind of, to just go from being the mentor and being the person who is maybe giving them ideas to having somebody where it becomes an exchange of ideas. You know, the only thing I could describe it is, you know, you have children and one day you realize that they're adults and and suddenly there you are, you know, (laughs) you're, they're, they're your, they're your equals. There are no, in some ways, you know, I, I always tell my students, I will always be your teacher. And it's some, in the same way I tell my children, I will always be your mother, but the roles shift. And that's one of the great things about working with Shihua is that we work as equals. We have a great time. I mean, you can tell from the front of the, the picture on the, on the cover of the, of the album, it's, it's just, we have fun. We have a good time. Well, let's dive into this new recording. How many recordings have you made together? Is this your first? This is the first. Yeah. Yeah, this is the very first. Well, hopefully not the only one. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
I did. I think I saw in some of your notes about it that this was a COVID project. I think every musician I've talked to in the last two years has had a COVID project. Uh, I'm guessing that might be because you had the time to do the project. Can you talk more about the evolution of how this came together? Well, um, as I mentioned, Deborah and I, um, we enjoy playing with each other. And uh, so gradually we have built up repertoire together from many performances um, at College of Music at MSU. Um, And we have always wanted to make a recording together. And of course, during the pandemic, uh, we were not able to play together for a while. And then toward the end of the pandemic, uh, we started thinking seriously about making the CD and uh, and that time I was really longing to make music with people, and which is my bloodline and my life as a collaborative pianist. So, um, uh, so playing together after the pandemic was indeed very, very healing. What is the goal of this project, which is called Connecting Cultures? I think the goal of the project is to do exactly that, to reinforce the fact that there are different cultures and we celebrate the cultures all of them, but they are connected. We're all people, we're all humans, and music is a language that cuts across cultures. Unlike, you know, if you speak Mandarin, you speak Mandarin. If you speak English, you speak English. And if you haven't learned the other language, you really can't communicate. But if you listen to music, then you can communicate. How did you decide which cultures you would represent on this recording? Um, actually, we included music from all corners of the world. And um, there are, of course, some standard um, old canon for the piano pu- uh, forehand and do repertoire that everybody enjoys, such as uh, the Mozart variations and the Dvorak Slavonic dances. Um, but we also try to include some um, hidden jewel. For example, the Amy Beach's Summer Dreams, Florence Price Three Spirituals, and those are very, very charming and wonderful music. And we know people would uh, enjoy listening to them uh, when they hear them, but they actually need to be heard first. And also for a pedagogical purpose, there's always this need to uh, expose the students with more eclectic collection of styles. So, so those are, we try to pick pieces that's um, very diverse in style, but at the same time, they do share some commonality, um, which is that um, all the composers, they all draw from their own roots um, and express that simple beauty in life. And um, uh, the, of course, the Amy Beach's nursery songs and the spirituals by Price and all the folk dances. So yeah, as Deborah said, um, we try to highlight, you know, the connecting power with the music. So I, I think that's one of the special uh, things that music can bring to people. And that's really interesting in that you start with two Slavonic dances by Dvorak, who wrote two sets of Slavonic dances, and you selected one from each set. And he also came to America because of how he incorporated his own folk elements into his music and was trying to teach composers in this country how to do the same. So tell me a little bit about the dances you chose, because there's a lot of them, and you picked one from each set. How did you choose? 
So those are dances that we've played actually quite a lot, and we really enjoy them. And I guess I could just say we wanted to choose two contrasting dances. The first one is very, is sort of the triumphant opening of the CD. And the second one is one that we just love to play. do a lot of things that the orchestra would not be doing because like the orchestra can't do what we're doing in terms of taking time and and doing special things but they're very contrasting and it just seemed like a wonderful opening to the CD it's interesting that you bring up the orchestra because often these dances are heard in their orchestral version if i'm not mistaken though are you performing them in their original version then how they were originally intended? Yes, I believe so. Yes, 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 absolutely. And also, I just also wanted to add that um, those two dances actually are, even though written by the same composer, they are also drawing from a different folk influence. The um, Opus uh, 46, number eight, is more from a Czech root, and uh, the second one is 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 a donka actually donkey, which is a Ukraine name um, for. Uh, thought and uh, those are very contrasting in, in in mood in characters. So that I should get clarity around: is this piano four hands or two pianos? The music on the recording, everything is actually originally written for piano four hands, with the exception of the Florence Price, which is written for two pianos. But when we were recording, given the pandemic, we actually recorded everything on two pianos. Um, because we needed to keep social distancing and we were wearing masks and we were in a very large space that was well ventilated. So, you know, it was so we recorded on two pianos, but the actual music, except for the Florence Price, is written for piano four hands. So what was that like? How was that different being on two separate pianos trying to pull all this together? I mean, there's a lot of timing, and uh, I know you probably know each other really well, which is key to being a successful piano duo. Tell me more about that process and what maybe changes you had to incorporate. I think uh, for piano forehand, we sit closer, uh, which makes the communication much easier, which makes the ensemble much easier. Uh, we can hear each other's breathing and we can cue each other uh, much more effectively. Although that sitting together could also uh, bring uh, challenges. For instance, sometimes I find that uh, my pinky is in Deborah's way and we are playing the same note, we are fighting for one note. <laughs> Uh, if we were playing in two different instruments, those problems will not exist. But it, it, the playing on two different instruments does make the ensemble playing much harder uh, so because we need to be playing exactly uh, together. So Yeah, and the balance issues are much more um, difficult on two pianos because you don't hear the same way. And when you're on one piano, you can really, you know exactly what the other person's doing and you know how to balance it. And that, so that's, so it, it's, you know, six of one, half of half dozen of the other. (laughs) 
There are two Chinese composers represented on this recording, and they're both contemporary composers, one from the 20th century, the other from the 21st century, a living composer. Tell me about how these pieces were selected and maybe what you appreciate most about these works. Those two pieces are by two wonderful Chinese composers from two different generations, Wang Jianzhong and Gong Huahua, and they also um, are very different in the mood and also in the characters. Colorful Clouds Chasing the Moon uh, is a more traditional folk song uh, from uh, the Guangdong province in southern China. And it's very, very joyful, very peaceful, very relaxed. Whereas um, the mountain harvest is um, an original composition by the younger generation composer, Gong Huahua. This is uh, describing a very rural um, area of China, and it uh, describes the local hunting and harvesting uh, in the very rugged mountain um, of the northwest uh, region of China. Um, and uh, also it's about the excitement and the joy of uh, those people's daily life. So it's, it's very different and both are wonderful in their own ways. And let me say also, as somebody who is not Chinese, um, <laughs> I think that one of the great things about going to China and having a lot of students who are from China has been my exposure to this incredible Chinese music. The colorful clouds chasing the moon. I think every time we play that, people are just amazed at the beauty of this piece. And it's a very popular piece in China. You will hear it all the time. You can hear it in elevators, actually. It's just, it's, it's everywhere. And it's just a fabulous piece of music. Amy Marcy Cheney Beach is featured on this recording, and it's a suite that maybe is a little less heard. It's called Summer Dreams. How does her creativity and imaginative compositional style come through in this work? Well, each movement is preceded by some poetry, which we don't actually include on the recording. We don't we don't recite the poetry, but each movement really represents very well what she has put in the titles. And it's just a, a charming piece of work, and it's something that we have really played this quite a lot. Do you have a favorite section, like 
a section that you always look forward to playing? Like, oh, I can't wait to get here. I like the very opening of the first movement. Um, it's just very... Very charming. And then I like the Elfin Tarantella. That's the next to last movement, which is also, you know, just very, very wonderful and fun to play. Yeah, that was my favorite, that Tarantula, the, the, the number five. Um, and uh, the first time when I, uh, we played through this piece, I saw it, I told Deborah because Deborah is from Boston originally, and I told her that just reminds me of the, the New England summer scene. And, <laughs> which is really, really wonderful. She really was uh, a fascinating person, uh, in addition to being a fascinating composer. In learning her music, what did you learn about her that maybe surprised you? She had kind of an interesting but difficult life. And I think that she um, was not allowed to compose for a long time, and then she did, and then it was sort of back and forth, and it was it was fascinating to learn about her. And uh, somehow I also remember that she is probably the uh, the first classical American composer to achieve success without the benefit of European study, and uh, so I think that that's very remarkable. I'm I'm thinking that reading about her, I'm, I'm remembering that she was married, and then her husband would not let her. It was it was just a, it was a difficult artistic life, and then she finally came out of that and was able to do what she wanted to do in terms of composing. And yet somehow she managed to become one of the you know top American composers of her era, which I find pretty fascinating. Right. Yeah. And she was recognized, and she's also even more recognized now. I mean, one of the fascinating things with both Amy Beach and with Florence Price is the recognition that they get now. And that's been a very wonderful thing to see. Florence Price is a composer who has been historically ignored for years, and now her music is re-emerging, thankfully. How did you determine to best represent her on this recording? The spirituals are just, we wanted to have something that was represented. I mean, American music, Amy Beach is, you know, represents a certain kind of American music. But the spirituals represent another a depth of music that is that is us, that is the country. There is a lot of other Florence Price things that are out there, a lot of other music by Florence Price that is out there that hopefully we will play on Connecting Cultures 2.0. Um, so we'll have we'll have other things that we can that we can do but for this recording we needed we just felt like we needed to have something that was that represented in some ways the soul of america
and we just felt like that needed to be there and it also in the recording it precedes the Gershwin. So it's a really nice lead-in to, to the Gershwin Rhapsody in Blue. This particular version is for one piano, four hands. The version for two pianos is usually the solo piano version with orchestra. So this actually is for one piano, four hands. There's many, many versions of, of this Rhapsody in Blue. And it's actually a wonderful piece that is quintessentially American and everybody feels like they own it. So you have people who do a jazz version of it. You have people who do a classical version of it. You have people who take, I mean, it's just people feel, many musicians feel like this is something that they own, which is a wonderful thing. How do you make it your own? I think our version is a pretty straightforward stick-to-the-score version. We don't do a lot of added things into it, and um, which I think actually is kind of nice to have, as opposed to the really super embellished, put in lots of other things into it. So this is just what George Gershwin wrote. Yeah, I think um, the simplicity is um what we strive to achieve. A kind of truth. Yes. As you were working on this project together, I'm wondering, I'm curious, what did each of you discover about yourselves? I don't play a lot of two pianos or piano four hands, I play a lot of chamber music. And one of the things that I discovered was that I love to play piano four hands and I love to play piano two pianos. And that, and this is always true with, when you're playing chamber music, you have to really listen to what other people say to their musical language. But when you're playing two pianos or when you're playing piano four hands, you not only have to listen, but because it's the piano and you have this kind of attack that happens, you have to really anticipate very, very clearly what the other person is going to do, which means that you have to be in their head, be in their heart, be in their soul, and know where they're going to go. And so that was, it was, uh, gave me an opportunity to not only work with Jiwa, but to get to know Jiwa in a way that I wouldn't get to know her just by simply talking or chatting or having coffee. Because when you play music with someone at this level and at this kind of thing with the, with piano, you really, you become, you, you know them in a totally different way, in a totally new way, and in a totally wonderful way. Yeah, um, I totally agree with, uh, with what Deborah said. Um, it's, uh, you know, when we communicate through music, um, it is the kind of communication that is so direct and honest, and there is really no, no place to hide, and basically you just bury your soul. Mm -hmm.
Deborah Moriarty and Jiwa Tong connecting cultures on their debut recording. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Walker. Thank you.